welcome to the podcast about interesting, everyday people. I'm Daniel Lance. I'm Paul Gilman, and this is Podzo One. This episode, we have Sharon Smalls on the show to share her refreshingly positive perspectives on things. Having led a 20-plus year career in HR, Sharon tells us about why good HR is crucial for people and companies, what she loves about her work, and some common misconceptions that people have about HR. We also hear from her on what it's like being an older mom and how she navigates raising black children. Finally, Sharon stands out from the crowd with her optimistic and positive attitude surrounding the year 2020, an attitude we certainly welcomed on the podcast. So here is Sharon. I want to make sure I get your name right. Sharon Smalls. Yes. Welcome to Podso One. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Yeah, it is. I'm excited to have you uh, talk to us tonight. So I, I should know this, Sharon, but I don't know where you grew up. Pretty much here. Okay. Um, I moved here with my family from Ohio when I was about 12 years old. Okay. So since then, lived in the Richmond metro area with the exception of going to college. So you have memories of Ohio. I do. Yeah. Um, we lived in Cincinnati and... Um, at the time, my family was super, super involved in our church, and so all my memories are of my house and the church. Mm. And then my dad, um, who spent his career as an insurance adjuster, worked for an insurance company, um, but he pursued an opportunity to be his own business owner. So he essentially opened a franchise being um, an insurance adjuster, okay. which meant he could really live anywhere. And um, so we ended up here. He chose Richmond. Yeah, I feel like my parents wanted to get back to the East Coast um, to be within an easier drive of family members. Okay. Um, and I think, I guess, you know, as a parent looking at it, I could see the age that my brother and I were at the time was a good transition age. I was entering middle school. He was entering high school. So, um, you know, not interrupting right. something. Yeah, it would have been yeah. brutal to be like a junior in high school to move. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I definitely consider Virginia home. So your memories are of home and of church. I mean, but Cincinnati's a pretty neat town. It's right there on the Ohio River. Yes. It's got, um, it's got a fair amount going on. Yeah, so the the river um, and the, I guess I'll call it park and amenities around the river are amazing there. Yeah. And actually when we moved here, we were sort of like, what is this at the James River? You know, we were so used to like, you know, really, really nice stuff around the river. And amazing bridges going across the river. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in time, I've learned to enjoy um, the more rustic river edges. Less, de- less developed. Less developed. Yeah. Um, muddy. Yeah. Not commercialized. Ohio's pretty muddy too, right? Oh, yeah. The river itself yeah, is yeah. brown, and you cannot see through it, so there is that, too. Yeah, there's, to a, there's a lot of uh, mud moving through the Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the James is very brown uh, as well, I would say, like a light brown. Through Richmond. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, but it's it's still a clear liquid, and that was a difference for us, we felt mm, like. Like if you here. pull it out, yeah, if you put it yeah. in a cup or something, it's yeah. clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, it's not for the Ohio River? Um, it didn't seem like it. Uh, um, the Ohio River through that part of the country has been through a lot. It has been. Big. And, um, <laughs> and there's a lot of commercial ships that go up and down the Ohio. Too. Mm. Yeah. 
So I think um, we didn't like that it wasn't developed, but it was sort of uh, magical that you could actually see into the water mm-hmm. here. Yeah, and there's some cute little, I don't know, there probably are in Cincinnati too, but there's like Texas Beach and Belle Isle and Huguenot Flatwater, just like cute little areas that are uh, magical in their own right as well, I think. Yeah, I think here people get in the water, um, and in Cincinnati you are by the riverside. Uh, in you're the not water. getting in you the water. You're not getting in there. Well, and, and it's a pretty swift current there too. I yes. mean, it's much deeper. Yeah. Uh, the James is mm. really shallow in a lot of, a lot yeah. of spots. But I love the rivers here. So the kids and I go and explore different um, state parks. So Mm -hmm. we love the York River um, and we like the Potomac River Mm -hmm. um, and go into the parks that have sort of beaches um, along those rivers. Yeah, the rivers are neat in Virginia. They really are. Yeah, Paul lives on the Piankatanky River. Piankatonk? Your your parents? (laughs) It's uh, Piankatonk. There's some wild river names out here. They're mostly Native American names, yeah. Yeah. Piankatank. Piankatank, not Piankatanky or Piankatonk or whatever you just said. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Honky Tonk River. Right, exactly. So uh, you went to high school in? In Henrico County. I went okay. to Hermitage High School. Okay. I went to Hermitage um, when that school was really cranking out professional athletes. So um, I guess I don't know if I should name all their names, but I can think of at least four people that had professional um athletic careers and um it was before the mix of that school really changed Mm. i think that school has probably got a huge percentage um of hispanic students now versus yeah we didn't have um maybe one so um it's very different school now yeah Mm -hmm. you don't want to name them Ron Carey, was that one um, of them? No, let's see. Well, one of them is in jail. Oh, um, which, so, yeah. Let's so see. he played in the NFL and now he's in jail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fun. You can tell us off air who yeah. that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in my day, there were a ton of guys that played in the NFL uh, back in the in the 80s. Well, they, they were at Hermitage in the 80s, went to college in the mid to late 80s, and then played in the pros in the in the 90s. Yeah. I don't know what, what it is about that part of Henrico that has so many talented people. I don't know. It's weird, right? Yeah. But, I mean. Or maybe it's just a really good school. Maybe it's a nurture as much as nature. Mm. I don't know. Was, was it, uh, you said there was only like one Hispanic kid. Oh, I don't know the statistics, but um, it wasn't what it is now. Mm-hmm. Certainly not. And like what it is now, is it just more diverse broadly? Yeah, I just think it's the, the neighborhoods that are feeding into it now. Mm. Because, of course, Henrico has at least three more high schools than it did when I was in. At least three, yeah. At least, you know, with the westward expansion. So um, it's just different population. Cool. What, what were you known for? What, were you a, uh, an academic in high school? Were you... Yeah, I was very smart. Um, would you classify yourself as a nerd or would that be demeaning? I, I never used that term, but I'm sure if you talked to any of my classmates, they would have said I was a nerd... Um, and that, that was their way of saying you were very studious. Yep, very studious. Yeah. I graduated third in my class. Nice. Ooh. There should be um, a name for that, right? right? You come in right. third, like they stop at second place with yeah. salutatorian. We should come up with one tonight. I would appreciate that, yeah. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I mean, Daniel's, third is really hard. Daniel, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Daniel's a linguist. Uh, I'm, I'm also the third child in my family, and I really do feel your pain. Being third, yeah, it's 
<laughs> there's no there's no recognition. There is no recognition for it. Um, but yeah, I, when I graduated from Hermitage, I felt like I could do anything. Um, I excelled in all my classes, and then I got a full scholarship to the university. And well, hold, let's be clear. Uh, and, and I know what you mean, but our listeners out in uh, like California, okay. Uh, yeah. um, the University of Virginia. Right. And, and Daniel's having a little trouble right now because he went to William & Mary. Uh, and I don't think he knew about the University of the Virginia. The university? Okay. If, yeah, he never applied. Mm-mm, and if he had never known, did. He, he would have applied. Uh, so academic scholarship? Yes. That's I awesome. Have. Right on. And I then realized I wasn't really smart. Like once I got there, <laughs> I was That's like, funny. you know what? A B is good. Yeah. A B is really good. <laughs> yeah, I would have been ecstatic with straight Bs. Oh man, that's funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. I'm, it's bothering me that now that there's not a term for coming in third uh, in your graduating class. Yeah. Whatever we come up with is gonna maybe the title of this uh, episode. I would appreciate that. I mean, because when you have a 4.4 grade point average... Seems really... Uh, it, it seems like you should be recognized in some way. It, it seems ready for recognition. Yeah. I don't know why the world wouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah, I was not in the top three, but I'd like a, uh, something for my number two. Let's just say it had two digits in it, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was not in the top nine, unfortunately. Yeah. What'd you major in? Um, I was in the... It's called the School of Commerce, but... Um, oh, you were in the comm school. I was in the comm Oh, come school. on. You, you were being modest earlier. Comm school is hard to get into. It is hard to get into. It's still hard to get into. Right. Um, even with the size of UVA, um, they only have 350, maybe 375 students that they let in each year. Yeah. Um, so if you go to UVA and think you're going to be a business major, um, you might not be a business major. It's like 11, 12% of each class. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. So I... Um, so technically, I have a degree in commerce, but my um, concentrations were marketing and management. Okay. So you, you get to school, and then once you're at UVA as an undergrad, you you start to apply for a school inside UVA, the commerce school. Yes, but then, that's the only one. Okay. So, you know, the other schools, like the engineering school, um, you would apply to that right away. It just, you know, mm-hmm. when you're high school. From high school, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, you spend your first two years taking prerequisite classes, and then you have an application. You write essays, you submit, you know, why you want to be there, and it's a, you know, it's a waiting game. And, and all of that weeds out a lot of kids, right? They're oh like, yeah. I, I went through the application process to get to here in the first place. I yeah. don't, don't want to go through it again. Yep. Yeah. Well, what happens to the to the people who who get weeded out or who don't make it into that eleven to twelve percent? A lot of them will become economics majors um, mm. to get into the School of Commerce. You have to take, I think it's two or three econ classes. So you're like, well, I've already taken three classes, so I can just pursue this. And, you know, if you know what you want to do and it might line up with a career in finance or something like that, economics is a good backup plan. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you know, I guess there's always getting your master's degree and something related to business. Mm. Was, is there a pretty meaningful difference between like just having a economics or account, I don't know, regular degree versus a comm school degree? Does it like look a lot better? I am completely biased 
Um, but I think that anybody that knows UVA and knows the commerce school, having a degree there sets you apart because they know that not only did you get into the university, but then you had that next level of getting, being selected for the school of commerce. Mm. Um, and they're known for not just allowing you to learn in your specific discipline, whether it's finance or marketing, but you get a really good, um, education across the spectrum of the business world and their small classes and their group activities. So their claim to fame is, is really putting out graduates that are prepared for real world business. Mm. What's the relationship between the comm school and Darden? So Darden really functions separately yeah. because Darden is the graduate school of business and, um, the Commerce School actually has a fifth-year um, master's program. Mm. So if you don't um, get into the Commerce School, but you really want to have that degree in commerce, you can stay a fifth year um, and get accepted into a master's program and do like a one-year um, master's through the School of Commerce, not Darden. And it's a master's in? It's a master's in commerce. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm. Huh. Um, but I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Um, they are working really hard now to expand access to commerce. Um, they're looking to add a minor in commerce. So even if you don't get in, there'll be classes that you can take. Seems reasonable. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. So uh, when you and I were chatting over text, I'd ask you for some topics. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say anybody that doesn't know you that well would guess that you're, and I'm not trying to be funny here, would guess you're in your late 20s. Maybe even mid twenties, and, and I, I'm I'm not intentionally trying to be polite, even though I'm a polite person. You you don't look your your actual age, but one of your topics, I think, it was the first topic you sent me was uh, being an older mom and what yes. that experience is like. So let's talk about your kids, and if you want to mention Bill, you can mention Bill too. Um, your kids, and then let's talk about uh, the dynamic of being an older mom. Okay, I just want to make sure that the part about Paul talking about how I look <laughs> makes it on air. Yeah. I, oh, okay. it's definitely on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll put that at the beginning. So, yeah. So Bill and I got married um, when I was almost 25. And to backtrack a little bit, all I've ever wanted to be is a mom. Mm. So even when I was working really hard at UVA, And my friends would say, you always just say you want to be a stay-at-home mom. Like, why are you working your butt off to get into the School of Commerce? And I would say, I will just be um, president of the PTA. I'll be treasurer at my church. I really didn't have career aspirations for myself. Um, But, you know, I did graduate and I got a job and started a career. And when we got married, um, I knew that you know, shortly after that, I wanted to start a family, and then it was just harder to have children than I anticipated. Um, but we did end up having um, our first child when I was almost 29, and then our second child when I was um, 31. And then I thought I was done, because I had a boy and a girl, and I was like, I'm maxed out, and this completes our family of four. This yeah. is great. Mm. And then some years later, I just started thinking maybe I want another child. I would be at the playground with my other two kids and I would start envisioning like, well, what if I had another one? And then so when I finally, finally decided that I wanted another child and then it took me another year 
to convince Bill <laughs> that it would be a great idea. Because that's not an easy thing to, to decide, right? No, it's yeah. not. And then another year or so to actually get pregnant. Um, and so at the point that we had actually given up, um, then I got pregnant. It's crazy how it wow. happens that way. And so my youngest was born um, just before I turned 39, which really gets you the label of advanced maternal age. Um, M- medically. Yes. Yeah. And they treat you sort of like a geriatric patient. <laughs> I really noticed the differences in how I was treated between the two pregnancies. The first pregnancy, I could say, oh, I have a little bit of cramps. You'll be fine. Drink more water. Mm. My third pregnancy, you know, have some cramps. Well, we'll need you to come in. Let's do an ultrasound. Well, we couldn't see anything. We're going to send you to the perinatologist to get a better look. Mm. Nothing was ever wrong. It was because of the advanced maternal age marking on my chart. Um, But, you know, fast forward to today, and I have a five-year-old, but I am the old mom. Like, I... You know, when she was in preschool, all the other moms were like early 20s. And I'm like, I'm not even invited to the party and I don't (laughs) want to be because when I go home, I'm going to read a book and sit with a glass of wine. And um, I see the difference in myself being older because I fret less. I mean, I still care, but um, I've taken Quinn to pool parties and I put her floaties on, and she's gone. She's in the water, and I'm just getting my magazine out to sit. And the other moms are like hovering right at the edge of the pool, you know, or getting in the pool with the kids too. And I'm like, that's not what I'm here for. I'll take some pictures of her, but I'm just really laid back with my third child. Um, Were you laid back with your second child relative to I your think first? So I don't know that I was ever uptight. But um, I don't have the same fears. You want to get on the high slide? Okay, do it. Go for it. Um, And I feel like I take a lot more time to just enjoy things with her. Slow down because it goes by really fast. Yeah, it does. So, you know, if she wants to be at the park extra long or she wants to just go walk through the farmer's market even though we're not going to buy anything, she wants to touch every tomato and see if it's like the other one, sure. It's fine. Does she keep you younger? Do you feel younger because you have a five-year-old in the house? Mm-hmm. No, no. Sometimes I feel older because I'm tired. <laughs> um, and a lot of times when I'm putting her to bed, I put myself to bed too because I'm like, I'm just done for the night. Um, no, she definitely, um, she brings a lot of joy and it's, it takes a lot of energy to keep up with her. Yeah. Um, but the great thing about having that span of ages in my house, because I have a 15-year-old and a 5-year-old and a 13, almost 13-year-old, um, I can't ever get bored. Mm-mm. And if one of them is irritated with me, well, another one will give me a hug. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's and, a math game at that yeah, point. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes the older kids, they have more, more complex challenges, you know, to navigate as a parent. Um, Maybe it's a social issue or something with their classwork that's that's just not as easy um, as some of the things that I deal with with my five-year-old. I mean, pretty much everything with my five-year-old I can solve in five minutes. 
um, or with a good night's sleep. So having that balance of like, you know, the enjoyment of seeing my older kids do things and kind of become their own person and still having that sweet person that just wants me to read the same story for the 10th time right. and is thrilled because I let her have four M&Ms. I mean, it's really nice to have the balance of that in the house. I should have, we should have had a, had a kid when I was in my late thirties. Well, actually I almost was. Yeah, it's not too late, Paul. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty well, sure that, that ship has sailed, man. Yeah. The one problem is that now that, you know, I'm the old mom, my youngest really would like a younger sibling because she sees a lot of her friends Mm. getting baby brothers and sisters. Does she verbalize that? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I have explained to her multiple times. She already has a brother and a sister. As a five-year-old, she's like, that doesn't work that way, mom. It's just, it's it's not happening. It's definitely, (laughs) no, there's just, no. There's no way. Do the older kids uh, help take care of uh, the younger? Yes. They are super helpful. Um, You know, they will cook for her, take care of her, um, play with her. So I think she arrived in their lives at a good time where they were still young enough to want to play with her, but old enough to be useful. Mm -hmm. Mm. So I highly recommend an age gap. It's very nice. (laughs) Ten-year age gap? It worked for me. Yeah. It really did. I mean, because, you know, when you have a, an infant and your other child is like two, the two-year-old does not like the displacement that has happened. You know, they, yeah. they're basically ruling the house. And then this other person comes along that takes all of mom and dad's time and energy. And my kids were just so excited with her. Yeah. With everything that she was doing that there was never any jealousy and um they just found her fascinating mm-hmm. so she's got two really big fans that's so, great so quinn is is your kindergartner yeah what are your other kids names my oldest is kayla and then my son is christian and kayla is a high schooler yes she's in 10th grade wow she's yeah. young for 10th grade right yeah well she'll be 15 and no she'll be 16 in a few months okay yeah and Christian is a middle school. He's in seventh grade. Right. Yeah. So pretty soon he'll be 13 next month. So I'll have two teenagers. Yeah, that's that's a fun time, teenagers. Yeah. I've been doing okay so far. Um, but I, I almost feel like maybe Kayla has set me up for failure in the sense that she's so easygoing. She's so laid back. She has a lot of my husband's temperament. Mm. Um. So I haven't really had to deal with a lot of that like teenage girl drama stuff. I've she got it all. Awesome. If you ever want any of it, just come over to this house. <laughs> no. <laughs> I feel like, you know, from the time she entered middle school, I thought, well, everyone's telling me it's going to be awful. And she's just, um, I just enjoy being around her. She's not drama. If she's, you know, if she's in a bad mood, kind of the whole house is like, what's wrong? Right. Like, what do mm. we need to fix? Because that's. That's not like her at That's all. That's great. Yeah. But if she changes, so now, you know, she's 15, almost 16. So if she changes, I'm not ready. Hopefully she doesn't. But if she does, yeah. it is what it is. And everybody will adapt to it. Yeah. Well, I think my youngest will be different. Um, she is my most extroverted child. She's extremely strong-willed. Um, but I have a plan because of this age gap. 
So I figure that by the time Quinn is a teenager, Kayla will be out of college, a productive adult, and I've told her that I will help her buy her first house, help her with the down payment. She wants to upgrade the kitchen if she takes her sister every other weekend. Oh, wow. Okay. Because I think that would be good. I think that's a good... Good for everybody to include you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so... Um, what about Christian? Does he get uh, his younger sister on the weekends at any point? If he has his own place, then he can have her on the other weekends. I, I just feel like it could really work out well for everyone Have involved. you discussed this with Bill? Is Bill on board? He just laughs. I... <laughs> You know, I don't think he thinks I'm serious, but I've taken Kayla to look at townhouses. I mean, yeah, you're, you're being recorded right now. You 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 have not taken her. At, at oh 15. yes, I have. Yeah, we. You're got, a long you're a long term planner. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to plant the seeds. You got to water the seeds too. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I talked to her about the value of home ownership, and um, we're we're probably seven eight years away at the earliest of her having a place. But hey, but you can never what? start too early. That's right. And, you know, if she has it in her mind that, you know, being a homeowner at a young age is something that she could do that would be within reach, then I feel like that just helps her. Yeah. And you're, you're teaching her life skills that uh, the school system is probably not going to teach her. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think that, you know, my children have these high standards for themselves. I want them to understand the value of home ownership, but they also need to understand that they won't have a house like the one we have first. Right. Um, right. And I think teaching humility and teaching the reality of what, you know, a first home might look like is important. Very cool. Yeah. yeah perks of having a, a savvy mom, a money savvy mom, especially. Money savvy, but also strategic, because I am definitely going to have a calendar for the every other weekend. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you can uh, start talking to my kids at some point, because I maybe I'm, I'm not setting them up well. Seeds have not been planted, maybe the way they should have. Well, then they'll just come back and live here with you. No, I mean. no, that's not happening. <laughs> no, this this house isn't big enough. Um, right. Yeah, as soon as your kids, uh, you should ha- you should have them sign contracts and stuff, so that as soon as they do have a house, they uh, have to. Have the have your other daughter over every every other weekend? Well, my children will absolutely sign a contract. I mean, that's part of um, having a mother that's in HR. So when they first Boom. started their um, really having kind of established chores and getting a small allowance for that, um, they I wrote out a contract and they signed it. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. You're being serious. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. can, can I see those contracts at some point? <laughs> sure. It's really simple, you know, the expectations of what they do. And, um, you know, if they don't do it, they don't get paid. And, um, you know, it's funny, not too long ago, my oldest said something about going on a strike. And I can't remember, I can't remember what it was, whether, you know, she had something else she wanted to do. She didn't want to clean the kitchen or she thought she needed more money. And I said, that's fine. You can go on strike. But I won't hire you back, and mm. I'll, I'll give your coworker a raise. <laughs> I didn't hear anything else about the strike. So, Ooh. where did where did she come up with the strike concept? I don't know. Probably television. Yeah, isn't probably. that where children get all their bad ideas? On that the are, that are, yeah, the internet. Yeah. It didn't work. I mean, I'm the only employer in the house. So. You were you were ready for? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. were ready. You have a pretty yeah. solid monopoly going on. I do, and I mean, they signed a contract. Yeah. 
Contra, it's, it's a powerful thing. I mean, I've heard that one way to, if you want to make yourself actually do something, um, like a habit or something like that, it's a really good idea to write a contract with yourself and just sign it and say, if I don't, if I don't do this, then I will give my wife a bunch of money or I will, you know, insert whatever. And then if you don't, if you don't actually follow through, then. And you just have to sincerely uh, agree to it. Yeah. 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 But I've heard that that's, I've never tried it myself, but I've heard that it's effective. Hmm. I guess I've never done anything like that before. I do often start things, you know, either whether it's, you know, exercising or eating a certain way or whatever. And then I fall off the wagon. Mm -hmm. But I've never like written out a contract and given myself any sort of penalty. Yeah, it, I guess it depends on the type of personality you yeah, have. Yeah, it too. wouldn't it wouldn't work for a lot of people. Like uh, for me, it's like every time I so there's this website Reddit, and I mm-hmm. I've I've been going on it way too much, and so um, I told I didn't write a contract, but I told my girlfriend every time I go on Reddit without any intention and when I just waste waste time, um, I'm gonna send you a dollar, and so I just do that, and so she gets a bunch of dollars every day, and it's it slows oh. down, but. <clears throat> But yeah, that's something that I use, and I guess it, it works for me, but I'm not sure if it works for everybody. Well, I, um, for a while, had TikTok Ooh. because so I wasn't making my own TikTok videos, but a lot of people were sending me um, TikToks that they thought I would find funny. And so I finally I was like, I'm going to sign up for it myself. And I had to get off of it after about a month or so because I was like, I'm not going to be able to hold a job because I would... <laughs> sit down with my phone and then an hour or more would go by and I would just be sitting there cracking up at, you know, funny TikToks and I finally had to discipline myself. And the only Mm -hmm. way I could do it was to just delete the app from my phone because I thought this is, this is taking too much time and it sucks you in. It's like cocaine. Yeah. It's like just really, what do you call it? The whirlpool of dopamine? Sure. Is that, that's a good word for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's your catchphrase, not mine. Oh yeah. Well, I'll, I'll take credit for it, um, but that's good for you for deleting it. That's hard. Yeah, I miss yeah. it though. I do because friends will still send me TikToks. Do you watch mm. the videos when they send them to you? I do. But I you do. don't have the app. I don't have the app, so once I watch the video, I'm just you can just close it. I just close it. Yeah. Um, I miss I, it a little bit. I don't. I don't have TikTok, uh, but I. But my my son and my well, it's my son. One of his friends from high school actually has like. Two million followers on TikTok or something really? crazy. I'm like, how? What? Yeah. How is that possible? He's an 18 year old kid. That's it's amazing. Wild. Yeah. I guess he's make, making entertaining videos for folks. <laughs> yeah. Must be. And he figured out the algorithm for TikTok. Actually, I'm pretty sure that's how he did it. Yeah. All right. 2020. Yep. Your perspectives on 2020 because there's there's some good and bad in 2020, and uh, you tend to gravitate to, hey, what did I, what have I liked about 2020, and what have I learned from 2020. Yeah, I think, you know, outside of the recession and the pandemic and the racial injustices going on, 2020 has been a good year. Um, I downloaded the Shutterfly app. And when you download the Shutterfly app, you get to get, you know, photo prints for free Mm. um, if you go through the app. And so... I'd kind of forgotten about that, so I ended up getting like 200-some prints made. Oh, wow. And I looked back as I was trying to put them, you know, in organized fashion in an album, and I realized 
if anybody didn't know the date of these pictures, they would think this was an amazing spring. This was a fantastic summer. Mm. Um, and I feel like there were so many extra moments that I got to squeeze in this year because my kids were home um, and because we were looking for new and different things to do safely. You know, mm. Very early on, we were like, we we're going to get out of this neighborhood um, regularly. We're going to you know, get back to exploring new and different state parks. Um, we're going to go to the river, just you know, down on the canal walk. And so I've got all these fun pictures with the kids, and they were really casual, not you know, major vacations or anything, but just lots of smiles. Um, I got all these pictures from Easter Sunday, which was different for us, you know, not going to church, not really spending the day with family. But we had so much fun. And that was the first time I've ever done an Easter egg hunt in my yard for the kids. And I hid 100 plastic eggs for my kids. It's a lot of plastic eggs. They only found 97. And (laughs) I couldn't help them because I had hidden so many. I didn't know where the others were. I couldn't help. But there's just been so much joy this year. And I've been able to work from home full time. I've always loved working at home um, at least one or two days a week to just really help me um, have a lot of focus time for my work. So not having a stressful commute downtown every day has been fantastic. Um, I've discovered a love of yoga pants with pockets. That's just been wonderful. I have no idea what that's like. It's great. And it's way better than wearing jeans, Paul. Um, I don't think anybody wants to see me. (laughs) (laughs) That's just for you and your wife. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I feel like it's been a really good year. And it's been a good year of me sorting out what matters. Mm. So before COVID shut down, um, in order to get downtown to my job, I worked on Cary Street. So I went through, you know, stretch of 95 right at the height of rush hour traffic. Um, On a good day, I could do it in 35 minutes. But then I'd have to get to my parking lot, walk three blocks, cut off a little time by going through the alley, saying hi to the people in the alley. Um, But the first part of that was dropping my kids off at school. And then because my youngest would either, um, you know, she wasn't in school yet, so she would go with our nanny. So to be the most efficient, I would meet our nanny in a parking lot. And we'd wait for our nanny to get there, and then I'd give Quinn to her. And very quickly, probably within a week or two, I said, I'm never doing that again. I'm never passing off my child in a parking lot for the sake of showing my face in an office by a certain time. And it wasn't that she was damaged by it in any way um, because we kind of had our routine and our things that we did in the car while we were waiting for a nanny who she adores. Um, But it just didn't make sense. didn't make sense to do. Like the, the reward certainly didn't um, make it worthwhile. So then I've been running everything through this 10-10-10 filter this year, which is how am I going to feel about this in 10 minutes? What's, what's going to be my thought or feeling around it in 10 months? And where am I going to be on this in 10 years? And that has really helped me figure out what really matters. 
and also to help me make decisions around COVID safety. Like maybe I don't want to go to um, a bar, a crowded bar. Um, how am I going to feel about that? You know, my friends are going, how am I going to feel about that in 10 minutes? Uh, maybe bummed come up cause I'm missing out in 10 months. I might not remember it. Yeah. Um, in 10 years, I certainly won't remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you do, you're going to feel like a genius for not doing it. Right. Yeah. Um, and I've just sort of run a lot of different things in life through that, not just for COVID safety, but it has really helped me, um, not agonize over decisions too much. Um, to trust my gut and go with it and not use a lot of energy worrying about things that really are not going to matter very long at all. That's something uh, a tri-tutorian, the person who finished third in their high school class, would come up with. There it is. That's my first tri-tutorian. shot. Tri-tutorian. Tri-tutorian. <laughs> Came out strong. <laughs> I think the confidence was there. I think we should go with it. No, no, no. I, I think that, well, it's up to Sharon if she so, wants to go with it. Let's see. Valedictorian, salutatorian, tritutorian. It kind of rolls in there with it's, it. I was trying it's to almost get like it to roll. Yeah. Triceratorian, like except that sounds like a dinosaur. Triceratops. What you said sounded like a dinosaur. Tritutorian? It's not a dinosaur. It's a or maybe who like just third in their graduating class, like a trident, but Ooh. like a tridentorian. Um, I I'm <clears throat> Sharon's mulling these two over. Yeah, <laughs> tridentorian. And While you're thinking about that, um, let me ask you another question to think about. Um, it seems like you. With your youngest kid and then also with this 10, 10, 10 and like not fretting and being okay in the moment and not agonizing over small decisions, was it always like that? Um, you know, when you were working really hard at school, trying to, trying to do really well and get into these programs? Uh, and if not, if you, if you used to be more like just fretting and anxious and really kind of agonizing over small decisions, at what point did you kind of like dial it back? And, and relax. He's asking um, for a friend. Yeah. So I am... As always. I am by nature um, a warrior, a planner, type A driven. And all of those things are still there. But I think the older I get, and certainly 2020 has probably accelerated my effort to managing those tendencies. Um you know, if my husband were sitting here, he would say, Sharon likes things done a certain way in her time. Um, and it's true. I like to stay on a schedule. I like things to run the way they're supposed to. I like to think of um, things that could go wrong and prevent them. I like to stay on a schedule because things go better on a schedule. But I've just learned to be willing to go with the flow, too. Like if I think I'm planning a fantastic outing with my kids to the park and I plan for an hour and a half being there and a packed lunch and then we end up being there for two hours or more and now I got to find a bathroom in this random park, well, that doesn't freak me out anymore Mm. Um, because I look at, well, it's not going to matter in 10 minutes. No. Um, Actually, it'll be over in 10 minutes. We'll have found the the restroom facilities at this park. And in 10 months, I'll be looking back at these great pictures Mm. of me and the kids at the park. Um, So some of it's age, some of it's uh, intentional effort Mm. to chill out. And I feel like the way I've made progress is by kind of recognizing it when I've done a good job and sort of 
patting myself on the back, like, huh, I didn't freak out about that. Or I handled mm. that really well when maybe five years ago I wouldn't have. Because mm. um, it's just not, it's not worth it. And I, I've noticed a lot of times when you hear from female celebrities and they are 50 or older, they talk about feeling freer and the things that they've learned and the things that they're not worrying about in their 50s. And I think, well, I don't want to wait until I'm 50. I'm, you know, I want to be like that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Nice. So did you come up with 10, 10, 10, the concept? No. I read it in a book called Breaking Busy. Very sorry, author. Can't remember your name. Um, but a great book written by a woman who has started a couple companies. Um, think she and her husband have like four or five kids and very driven, uptight person and was really uh, had too much on her plate. And she, I don't know whether she came up with this 10, 10, 10 thing or someone told her about it, um, but it was really helpful for her. And it was just, it was one of several takeaways that I had from that book. And I love a book that I actually like apply to my life. It becomes useful. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Very cool. Well, our listeners can't hear this, but you are a person of color. You uh, yes. are, are a black woman aged 28 or 29. I think we already established <laughs> that. And you're raising black children. And 2020 uh, has been an interesting year in a lot of ways. But one of the ways is, um, I, I think, the most poignant moment for most Americans is the killing of George Floyd. And it, it brought to light for me personally wow, I, I have no concept of what it's like to be black in America. No clue. Um, and I've, I've always thought of myself as somebody who has his eyes open, his ears open, and I should have learned this before I was actually in my 50s. But I'm learning a lot this year. Uh, but you have a very, uh, from my perspective, the way you phrase this in, in the text to me, a very powerful way of thinking about raising black children uh, in these days. Yeah, so Paul, I actually feel like the George Floyd incident um, made how I was already feeling this year even heavier because I back that up to um, Ahmaud Avery, the young man who was basically exercising. You know, yeah, out out in his neighborhood, right, um, and was killed, and so that bothered me in particular because I felt like. This wasn't somebody that was doing something wrong. It wasn't like an inner city issue. There was no gun violence. You know, a lot of times you hear about something like that happening around an African-American who was killed by the police or something like that. And you hear a lot of stuff around, well, if he hadn't been doing that or if he hadn't been carrying this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, this stripped it down to an individual that could have been my husband or my brother who runs or my son And so I remember feeling like I'm having a really hard time pushing this one down because that's, that's what you do. You just, you hear the story, maybe talk about it with friends and family, and then you push it down because you just, you have to, you have to function as a parent, an employee, whatever. So that's really been, you know, kind of the start of the challenge, I think this year was just... It felt like George Floyd, and then it was like an incident after that, an incident after that, each of them a little bit different. But it was like, wow, I am still trying to push down a mod situation, and another one comes on, and it's harder. 
the one good thing, you know, when I think about my kids is that they weren't in school. Mm. Because a lot of times when things happen, um, you know, not even racial things, but just things in the media and they hear a version of it at school, um, you know, maybe they're coming to me because they're like, you know, I heard something and I didn't really like, you know, what so-and-so was saying about it. And then I feel like I'm kind of undoing a little bit of damage and having to point to some factual information or pull up information online and I can show them, you know, really what was going on and talking it through. So there was a benefit to them not being in school and either hearing misinformation or worse, hearing some of their peers say things that, you know, would have added insult to injury. So um, when situations come up, you know, we often use it as an opportunity to remind our kids of certain things that they are black people. Um, and even though they have friends and neighbors and teachers um, and administrators who like them and respect them and you know don't have any racist tendencies, um, there are many, many people in the world who do. So my son, um, he just loves to be warm and snuggly. If there's a blanket, he's under it. If he can possibly justify it, he wears a hoodie almost every day. But he knows that we don't want him to have his hood up unless it's raining or heavy snow. He's not to wear a hood when he goes in any store. He's not to have his hands in his pockets when he's in any retail establishment. Um, and, and he knows this. You know, and, and if I bring it up to him again, he's like, I know, and I, I know, and I don't want anyone to think that I'm stealing anything. But that's not really new. You know, I remember yeah. when my brother learned to drive um, back in the 1900s, and I remember my dad talking to him, not about racism, but how he expected him to behave if he ever got pulled over. Um just, you know, remaining calm and keeping your hands on the wheel, which now, you know, looking back as a parent, I know my dad didn't want anything to happen to his black son. Right. And, you know, as my kids become drivers, they'll get the same thing. So it's a real balance between trying to keep your kids open and loving the world and loving people who don't look like them and teaching them some really basic things they need to know yeah. um, about how to keep themselves safe and and to still feel really good about who they are, to be really proud about, you know, if you're the only brown face in your class, to be really proud and to know that, you know what, wow, you got an A in that class and hopefully you left a good impression on that teacher and your classmates. Um, I... You know, I have a very strong faith, and it's really important to Bill and I that we raise our children going to church. And although there are some awesome churches that are multiracial or predominantly white that are closer, we've always chosen to find a congregation that's predominantly black because I want my kids to be able to go somewhere and they're not the minority. Yeah. Um, not the minority, but also seeing people who are leaders and, you know, teaching in the Sunday school class that look like them. Um, you know, I've been really intentional over time to 
take opportunities to have medical professionals who are non-white. Um, so the kids have been seeing a, a great white male dentist for a long time. And for whatever reason, he didn't um, return to his practice right away um, this year um, after closing for COVID. So when the office reopened, they said, well, he's not coming in, you know, for a while, but, you know, this other doctor's available. Turns out she's an African-American woman. She did a great job. And we got back in the car, you know, my kids were like, we really liked her and she was brown. So I called the, the practice and I said, can you change their next appointments to her? Because I just, you know, again, we, we'd been seeing that other dentist for years, but for them to have an opportunity to have a professional who's taking care of them that looks like them, um, I want them to have that experience. I want them to keep seeing the good in brown people who look like them while also finding a way to trust people that don't look like them. So they see us having friends of all different races. So they see us... Um, you know, we, we have friends who are white that, you know, come into our home and they have dinner with us and um, we go out and do things. And we have friends that are African-American do the same thing. So they're definitely being raised to not have to feel like, well, the only people that can come to our house, you know, have to look like us. Um, and I see diversity in their close friend groups, and I and I feel like okay, I'm I'm doing good here because I want them to feel like they can be friends with whomever, um, and welcome whomever in our home too. So it's a balance, you yeah. know, it's a tough balance, and it's a balance of not wanting them to be petrified, um, but to be aware. Um, I'm petrified sometimes for them, um, because I don't think that. You know, because my kids are smart and well-mannered and live in a good neighborhood, I don't think they have necessarily any more protection than anyone else. Um, but I don't really share that with them necessarily. I don't share with them that I'm worried um, or that I worry about when my son gets his license and um, that type of thing. They'll figure that out on their own. Um but I think right now it's more the balance of making sure they, they're a little bit streetwise, um, as much as I can make them streetwise living here in the county, um, but that they, they see the good in people that look like them. Um, that's important to us, too. Yeah, I think your approach is, uh, your balanced approach is smart. I, I think it's uh, going to enable enrichment for your children, uh, and they'll see a lot more good from people of all colors because of it. So yeah, that's, that's you're you're raising them extremely well. Trying to, yeah. And I've got kids, and I, and the things that you have to worry about, some of the things you have to worry about, I I don't even think about, I don't even consider. Um, and so I'm I'm fortunate in that way, and uh, I I wish you didn't have those extra things to worry about. Um, but you're definitely raising your kids the right way. I have friends who are white, and they ask me, well, what can I do? And I tell them, you know, well don't be a racist jerk and like you're my friend so you're not pretty straightforward but you know the other thing it's like looking for those opportunities you know to pursue a friendship or a business with someone that doesn't look like you you know and not don't just stop at black I mean there's a whole spectrum out there 
Because the truth is that our kids are going to work in a much more diverse world. They're going to go to college and they're going to have a roommate from another country and classmates that, you know, look different. And if we don't put that effort in, then our children will be the person at work that says the really awkward things, you know, because they're like, they've never been exposed to anybody. This is the HR HR person coming out here. Um, yeah. And then the HR person is going to have to have an awkward conversation with them. Like, um, because it happens so often and you realize it's not that that person has any ill intentions. They don't know any better. They don't know any better. You know, it's like, you know, and, and there's, I guess, two classes of people, the ones that don't know any better, but they just, they keep it to themselves. Mm -hmm. And then the ones that are just going to blurt it out kind of out there yeah. and that's why we write policies as hr people and we do training classes <laughs> <laughs> do you want to talk about hr because you've been doing hr for a while i have so um i didn't have career aspirations but you know by my last year in college i realized that i hadn't met a husband so that whole just get married and have kids thing was not going to immediately happen and i went to one of many job fairs and saw, um, I ended up talking to one of the recruiters or representatives there, and I said, you know, I think I might like to do what you're doing. And she said, you don't want to do this. This is exhausting, (laughs) talking to people all day. And I was like, okay. I did end up pursuing HR and, you know, recruiting to start out with, and I learned she was right. I think I probably just caught her at the wrong time. But standing up at a job fair all day is really exhausting. Um, so I got it. I definitely probably caught her at the wrong time. But um, so with the exception of like the first six months out of college, I've always done HR and mm. I have loved it. Um, I just I feel like no matter what business you're in, people are people. People want to be respected. They want to be paid fair. Um, and they want to feel like the hours that they put in at work are worthwhile, worth them being away from their family or resting or hobbies or whatever it is. So um, I've worked in a manufacturing firm. I've worked in a law firm. I've worked for a defense contractor. Um, I yeah. worked for Circuit City. And they're all different, right? They're all different. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now I work for an investment firm. And it's funny to me because earlier in my career it would really frustrate me when I wanted to apply for another job. And it would say, you know, you need five years of experience in HR and, you know, experience in XYZ industry is strongly preferred. That used to drive me crazy because I never had experience in whatever that industry was. And now when I look back, I think for the most part, it's really, really, really not necessary. Each time I've stepped into a new industry, I had things to learn. Um, when I worked, you know, in a printing company, I really had to get sharp on OSHA. Didn't matter in the other jobs as much. Um, but you learn, you learn on the job, you ask people questions, but people, they're the same. Mm. employment laws, they don't change that often. (laughs) How they're applied and how the courts interpret them, that shifts over time. But helping people and helping to minimize risk for an organization around people 
it's what I love to do. I love to be really strategic about what you're doing with dollars um, related to benefits. Um, I love building or shifting a company's culture through programs and initiatives. Um, I really can't imagine myself doing anything other than HR. So... And you didn't see that coming when you were in college. I didn't see that coming. Um, I really was going to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, but I did do the other things. I mean, I was really active in the PTA, and I was on the PTA board. <laughs> but I have found, you know, my ways of sort of blending both. Um, but, you know, it's, it's funny. You know, being a working mother has meant that I have been really passionate about creating great work-life balance programs at the different places where I've worked. Um, mm. And I've worked really, really hard to get to know people so that I would be implementing things that made sense. So at my current job, which is a really small firm, I get excited when I'm like rolling out a new benefit or program because I know that how it's going to impact certain people because of the conversations that I've had with them by phone or running into them in the break room, I can think, oh, he's going to be really excited about this. This is, this is really going to help him out with what's going on with his family. Um, and I feel like if I get all that stuff straight for people, then they can do their jobs that are, you know, make the firm money. The vibe I get from a lot of HR people is they're there to protect the company. But you're giving us an answer that's very balanced about caring for the people that work for the company as well as minimizing risk for the company. Yeah. So I feel like with executives and leaders, I play an advisor role um, and really try to coach around doing the right thing, um, communicating the right way. And yeah, that's minimizing risk at the same time. Um, so I feel like it's, it's a fine line to walk. Um, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, maybe you have someone that's not performing well and working with that leader on how to handle the situation and how to treat that person with respect, even if in the back of your mind, you really know you want to get rid of them, because that means you're more likely to one, if you treat them with respect and you speak to them, you know, directly and specifically about the performance concerns, you one, you might get them to turn around. Right. And if not, if you're treating them with respect, they're much less likely to come back and shoot you. Mm. So my like, master's thesis was about workplace violence and the impact on HR professionals. I have no idea why I picked that topic, but it stuck with me my entire career. Um, and a lot of people who have come back and you know, come back with a gun or in some way, you know, incited violence in a company. The HR person or that manager or leader who delivered the news is often the person that is one of the victims. And many times it's because of how they felt, how they felt disrespected um, or dismissed or not heard. Um, and so like over time, I've sort of built up this catalog of practices that I do when I have really difficult situations. Um, and a lot of it really just was rooted in those, those studies that I um, researched and then just um, real life experiences of 
walking through terminations and layoffs and difficult meetings. And I feel like those are just the crappiest situations that any of us could ever be in. But if you treat somebody like they actually matter um, and you're respectful to them, um, I think it can make all all the difference in how they feel when they walk out that door. Because you can feel upset that you've lost your job or you can feel upset and disrespected. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have to both happen. Yeah, when you said so that they don't come back and shoot you, mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't sure if you meant literally, but you, she did, you she did. did. Yeah. Um, it, how common ballpark would you say that that, that, happened, that that happens or used to happen? Well, I mean, I, I still think that the percentage is really low relative mm-hmm. to all the organizations. Um, in our country, but if it's not a gun, sometimes it's something else that can hurt a company, like a lawsuit. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's really really easy to file a lawsuit in this country um, because your feelings are hurt, and that can be really damaging to an organization financially and reputation and all of that. Um, so that's so there's a gun issue potentially, mm. but there's also the it's just the planning, legal risk, planting bad seeds in general. Yep. yep. You could say. Um, and I think that a lot of times people um, assume that the person that comes back and with violence in some way, whether it's a gun or stalking someone or slashing tires or, you know, some mm-hmm. other minor physical thing, it's it's not always, you know, the weird guy that you would suspect would do mm-hmm. something like that. It's It seems like a really hard thing to do to uh, if you're trying to if, – if you need to let go of someone – and especially if their career and their work is a big part of their identity and who they are. Or their entire identity. Yeah. Or their entire identity, yeah. And, and they've sacrificed a lot for it. Um, so it seems to me like that's the really, that's the tough part of HR that might be like, uh, the, you might not enjoy that part as much, but it's it's rewarding. Is that kind of on base? Like, Because when you say mm. you love HR, I, I don't <coughs> imagine that you love like navigating the, Lay- the really difficult yeah, <laughs> situations. Yeah, I don't love it, but I'm so invested in those important things being done the right way um, that sometimes I put myself in it. Um, I make sure that I'm in the conversations preparing for it or I'm in the room when it happens. Um, I will spend time role-playing with a manager or I will write out talking points so that I know the person delivering the message is comfortable and confident and practices so that they say the right things and not not stupid things because they're nervous. You know, a lot of people that, you know, have to do those conversations, maybe it's their first and only time in their career that they'll do it. Mm. So I'm I don't love it, but I'm very, very passionate about doing it the right way. Um and that's how businesses work. They, yeah. they they grow and they shrink, and those tough conversations are inevitable, yeah. uh, depending on what's going on with that particular company or what's <laughs> happening in the economy at large. Yeah. So we, we have not done this whole notion of HR justice, I think. It yeah. is a multifaceted discipline. Uh, you started with recruiting, and that's certainly part of it. Uh, but there's talent management. There's culture management. There's benefits. There's associate relations, which is the maybe not so fun thing. Um, other aspects that I'm missing there? Those are the big ones. Yeah. Which which one do you enjoy the most? 
probably associate relations. Really? Yeah. Because I like doing it the right way. Yeah. Um, and I kind of, I don't think of, you know, associate relations as all the bad stuff. I mean, because there's so much that that leads up to or prevents the bad stuff. Right. Just, you know, having really good coaching conversations and um, teaching new supervisors how to be good supervisors so that maybe you can avoid some difficult situations down the road. So I think it's more, um, I'm passionate about my strategies and my philosophies because I feel like I'm doing what's right for the organization and, you know, preventing risk, but the benefit to the employees is really good too. Um, I did start out in recruiting, but I actually really don't like recruiting. (laughs) Um, I am an introvert and that really sucks the life out of me, you know, do an interview after interview, but I'm really, really love recruitment and talent acquisition strategy. Um, super passionate about, you know, treating your candidates the right way, you know, from the time they submit their resume or application in whatever format, like people getting feedback the entire time. They need to know they got their application. They need to know whether they're getting an interview. If they interviewed, you shouldn't have them waiting two or three weeks to know if they get to the next round. Um, It's not just being polite. It's actually beneficial to the company as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's also, I mean, it's a pipeline. We've had people that we have turned down that have sent us emails saying this was the best process I've ever gone through. You know, Mm -hmm. I would... You know, I'd like to apply again sometime in the future. And mm. when I get messages like that, I'm like, good, we're doing it the right way. All right. So I, I have a friend who uh, does a podcast. He does it with this guy who's a lot younger than him. And uh, they want to grow it to a, a bigger size and maybe have some employees. What's, <coughs> what's the best advice you could give us for creating an awesome culture? Give them, yeah. I meant them, yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, first of all, um, I would tell those people that, the fact that you're even starting out thinking about the culture is great because when you are intentional about it, you're going to do just fine. Um, so starting out with honesty and clarity and staying that way. So, you know, not doing smoke and mirrors and giving people a whole bunch of promises when they start that you may or may not be able to fulfill is a great way to start off wonderful employment relationships, honesty and integrity. You know, these these two men, you know, they didn't, you know, sell me a bunch of promises and tell me I'd have a spinoff of my own podcast within <laughs> six months. And here I am still just fetching water for them. Um, you know, just starting out with honesty and integrity right from the start yep. with any candidate, you know, the one that you thought was a loser, you know, you get right back to them. Um, the person that you think is a rock star, but you know, you can't meet their, um, the money demands that they want. You know, have a candid conversation. Here's what we think we could do. Here's what we think we could do, you know, within the first year. People really appreciate honesty. Yeah, the good news is for my buddy and, and the younger guy, I think they both come to the table with <clears throat> honesty and integrity. So there's... Yeah, pretty wild hypothetical, but... Yeah, crazy hypothetical. Definitely. But you know what? It happens. I mean, when a podcast blows up and you start getting, like, advertising dollars coming in and you want to really expand social media presence... Yeah, I mean, I could see that being something your your buddies would need to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely pass that along to my friend. 
Yeah, uh, definitely. More. This has been. Uh, you've added a lot more dimension than I've ever thought about to the idea of HR. I think that I've seen it in the movies, or or it's been a distant department, and uh, in the in the places that I've worked, like a like a really big bank in Richmond, for example. Um, <clears throat> what do you what do you, like? What do you think a lot of people might get wrong about HR that you wish uh, they didn't? Oh, I think a lot of people think that HR is basically there for processing actions, getting someone hired and in the door. Very transactional. You know, transactional. Yeah. Um, and that's insulting. I mean, it's been my whole career. I have my master's in human resources. Mm. So um, definitely, I don't like that. But I think even more so, I really hate it when I hear about my HR peers and other organizations not handling things well because I'm like, you're giving us all a bad rap. Um, but I know it's it's pretty common because I have friends and I have former colleagues and I have former bosses who still reach out to me because they have an HR issue and whoever is in that HR seat there, they don't trust so they want to know what I think should mm, happen. That is a sign that you are very good at your job. I think I am. Well, you're a tritatorian, after all. Yes, yes, yes a tritatorian. Tritatorian would do very well with almost anything they would try. Keep, keep going for it, dude. I love it. I mean, I'm Just sticking with it. Push it through. I mean, if Sharon likes it, we're gonna, I think we, we're going to go with it. I like it, <coughs> and I feel like the more you say it, the more it just it feels natural. And, you're, yeah. and how are you pronouncing it? Traditorian. Traditorian. Okay. Nice. I don't know how to spell it, though. Um, you can spell it however you'd like to spell it. Okay. We'll talk after the yeah. recording. Uh, all right. So we have a standard question that we may drop at some point, but I'm not <laughs> dropping it today. We ask every guest this question. Do it. When you were 25, let's say not, not married, no kids, no responsibilities other than taking care of yourself, you have two choices. You can join the military or become a stand-up comic. Or try to become a stand-up comic, I should say. Join the military. Okay. Why? Mm-hmm. Um, because of the structure and the ability to do more. More than just yep. yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. Right on. Now, you're an introvert. Uh, interacting with other people for long periods of time can be draining. I, I'm a, an ambivert, as I think. Daniel, you would describe me. Big word, yeah. You're an ambivert-ish as well. But we can be drained as well by lots of interacting with folks. Uh, But the podcast actually, I think, gives both of us energy. Are you drained now, or are you a little more energized than you were when you got here? I do not feel drained. Um, I think that my introversion, it's more like if I do this today, and I went to a cocktail hour tomorrow... And we had friends over on Friday, I would be done. Yeah. Like, I feel like if I space out things in this, you know, span of a day or even a week, then I'm fine. Um, but too much is not great for mm, me. So, because then I will go home and I'll be like, I don't, I'm not going to go to another party for a month. <laughs> mm. So, wine club, and that was a thing in yeah. our neighborhood. Yeah. Did you go to every single month? No. I would usually go, um, well, if, you know, a friend of mine was hosting, I would definitely go and be supportive. Um, 
or if, you know, Bill and I just happened to be free and felt like going, but not everyone. Yeah. I'm married to an extrovert and she wants to go to every single one when we were having them. Yeah. 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 Um, which would be why it would be nice to see Paul there. <laughs> and then I could be like, well, I could just sit on the couch and chat with Paul. And, you know, very often Paul would want to know, who's that guy over there? And then I would try to catch him up on who's who. Because I wouldn't know anybody. Mm. Yeah. Um, but that wouldn't drain me. Like that one-on-one yeah. connection. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the end of the night, I'd feel fine. It would be the, if it would have been talking to Paul and 20 other yeah. people. Yeah. Um, that would have drained me. So, yeah, I would latch on to Paul sometimes if I needed to. And I latched on to you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good times. Yeah. We, we, right we, on. Uh, I am like twice your size, so it's just funny <laughs> to, to even think about that. Do we want to end talking about Bill at all? How y'all met? Oh, because this yeah, is sure. kind of this is for posterity. Yes, let me tell you about Bill. Bill and I have been married for almost twenty years now. Um, so Bill also went to the university, but he transferred in. He was in with a dual degree program. So he has a degree in physics from a small school, um, Lincoln University, and then he transferred in um, to the engineering school. So we didn't know each other. And the African-American student population back in the 1900s when I was there was hovering around 10%. I love it when you say 1900s. (laughs) So even if I didn't know everybody, I mean, a face would be familiar or maybe my friend knew them. And none of my friends knew Bill or any of his friends. Um, so that's starch. I but, mean, I, I went there a few years before you did, yeah. and I, I understand what you're talking about. It's yeah. crazy that you didn't know Bill, at least through somebody else. Right. Yeah. So... Um, when he graduated, he um, got a job in Richmond. He's from Philly, so he knew no one. And an associate of his um, was also an associate of mine. Like, you're not close friends, but he said, you know, here's here's someone I know in Richmond. Give her a call. You know, maybe you guys can, you know, hook up. So he called me, and I was like, oh, well, I'll be your friend, you know. And we went to – we met for dinner, Um, and it was literally the first day we met and the woman, the hostess at the restaurant, she was like, Oh, you all look like such a, you know, nice young couple in love. I mean, we've literally known each other like two hours max. And so like a year from that, we actually went back there on our, our anniversary. Um, so he liked me. I did not like him. I was not interested. Um, he actually pretty much gave me an ultimatum. Um, because he wanted me to be his girlfriend and he felt like he couldn't just keep hanging out with me as a friend. Um, it was too hard. Mm. And so I said, okay, fine. I will, I'll be your girlfriend. And he needed that declaration. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, that was April, 1999. And we were engaged by that December. Nice. Um, it's probably like the fastest decision either one of us has ever made. We pretty much like from April to by May, we were talking about marrying each other. Oh, wow. So um, it's worked out, you know, 20 years of marriage. It's going good. I, I think uh, we should take this opportunity for maybe you to give some advice to, to Daniel uh, about dating and marriage and 
that that sort of thing. Oh. Does, does that scare? You? Does that scare you, Daniel? No, no, not really. You you've been dating your girlfriend. Uh, what, 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 you, you guys disagree for? Yeah, when it's you started uh, dating. We dated in college, then we broke up, and then we started dating about a year and a half ago again. So, yeah, I mean, it's there's certainly uh, next steps on the on the horizon. So, I don't know. So we it's an awkward setup, I would, Paul, but <laughs> I guess what, that's what I do. And I and you know it's not as uh, quick of a of a move from you know in, in April to December, like girlfriend to engagement. But uh, yeah, I mean, y'all talked about it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, a lot. And so, and there's also an element of like when you know, you know type stuff. So should yeah. he move fast or slow? He should just hurry up because <laughs> that's where I was going. <laughs> I have a plan. <laughs> should hurry up. I mean. Use the ten 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 rule. Mm. You know, oh. if you if you found out that you know she was thinking that you know maybe I should try some other guys. You know, this isn't moving fast enough. Mm-hmm. In ten minutes, you would be like, well, that would really suck. And then ten months from now, you'd be by yourself. Mm-hmm. And then ten years mm-hmm. from now, I mean, either does? by by yourself or you might be with like somebody who's like. Second, third best. Yeah. Ooh. So. Yeah, or just, I'll, I'll be like a like a bum on a farm somewhere because I just decided to give up on on life. So you need to act yeah. this weekend. I think is yeah. what you're saying. Well, I mean, there's a. I'll say there's a plan in place. Um. So. I will say that I don't envy anyone going through that process in the world of social media. Oh. And Pinterest. Oh, and oh yeah. Texting, I mean, it's just not good. It's so impersonal, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. easy to and you know misinterpret things. Mm. Um, yeah, you should just snatch her up before some other technological advancement happens yeah. and makes it more complex. For real, I'm really glad. Uh, I think it's going to be become rare and rare to be like, oh, we met in person. Um, because, you know, I remember hearing the first about the first people that I ever heard about that got married and had met on Tinder. And I was like, whoa, yeah. that is crazy. Like, meeting via an app and then eventually getting married. Now it's as, as normal as anything else. It's super normal. And uh, with this new uh, COVID normal, there's going to be a whole lot of, like, online dating. Uh, yeah, and, even like, more of it, yeah. Yeah, I've thought about maybe um, doing, like, an arranged situation for my daughter, because, Ooh. you know, she's, she's in 10th grade, you know, in another year or two. I mean, I, I would just assume she would, you know, be dating. But you can't meet anybody when you're doing virtual school and nobody has their cameras on. So I'm going to start maybe putting some ads out to see, like, to screen out some guys that could maybe go <laughs> for an arranged date. Arranged date. Arranged date, yeah. Arranged marriage sounds... Maybe too too far. Right, right. Yeah. But I mean, just a little quick background check, you know, yep. of to see, you know, did his parents, you know, go to college? Did they actually graduate from college? You know, what's the value of their home? Mm. You know, just little things to make an assessment of the family. Sounds like, it sounds like a business idea. I think. Mm. I think possibly. What What's mm. the business idea? So parents who are anxious for their children meeting partners. No, in just, the world. Sc- just screening the properly. Screening, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's huge. I mean, that takes <laughs> yeah. a lot of you know concern off of a parent. Screening and not screening in an unnatural way where you're pairing them with somebody they're not going to love the rest of their lives. Just yeah. just getting the 
the icky things out of the way, or, or maybe yeah. the not so uh, useful things. It out could of the be way. a business idea. I mean, it reminds me of uh, in, in cultures where arranged marriages are common. There's there are usually people that are that really know everybody. Like they are the the people that people go to when they're like, "Hey, my son or my daughter needs a partner," and so it's seems like it would be a hard business to build unless you knew someone or were that person that could do that matchmaking. Mm. It just takes a little internet work. I mean, I sometimes, I probably shouldn't even say this on the podcast, <laughs> but sometimes I research individuals who will be around my children. Uh. So if I know who their new teacher is going to be for the year, I do a little investigation. Or if it's a new medical provider, like, I think when, it's all normal. You know, and mm-hmm. I just, I do a little research. Like, I find out, you know, oh, that's where they live. That's where they went to college. That's, they just sold this house. They bought this house for this value. They got this award. Or, you know, I just do a little research. There's a whole lot of stuff in the public record. Yes. Yeah. Gives you an idea of the, the person. That's yeah. going to be influencing your child. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Sharon, we had a great time talking to you tonight. I, oh, I learned yes. a ton. Yes. I, I Thousands of wine clubs. I don't think we would have gotten to uh, what we got to tonight. Well, if yep. there is another wine club, and I, I feel like the Gilmans should probably host, um, our conversations will be enriched. Yes, yes, they yep. because of it. Yeah, I really I appreciate your attitude, and especially it's a very, it's a very refreshing counter to I think what the prevailing attitude is toward twenty twenty. Um, that you know, being thankful and having a positive outlook. I think that that was cool to hear and. The way that you raise your kids and and all of the stuff about HR. So thanks a lot for all of your insights. Well, I really appreciate you guys asking me to come here. And you know, maybe when you get another hundred or so episodes under, you might invite me back. I oh, might yeah, have could, other stuff to yeah, say. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. You're, oh yeah, you're welcome back anytime. We're gonna need somebody with who to give us HR advice if we're still around. Right, because we're episodes. gonna we're gonna be awesome. Hundred <laughs> episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. cool. Thanks, you right. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe through whichever app you're using. To share your thoughts, head over to our website at podso1.io, and there you can comment on episodes or send us feedback directly. Thanks for listening.